Welcome to episode 73 of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Senior Editor of Farm Exec Magazine and your podcast host. Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Greg Biloff, co-founder of Danforth Advisors. Greg, a career CFO in the life sciences sector, talks about the current momentum of biopharma IPOs and what we can expect looking ahead into the new year. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Greg. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. TrueSterum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSterumNTWK.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, I'll be interviewing Greg Biloff, co-founder of Danforth Advisors. Greg is here to discuss the banner year biotech IPOs had in 2020, the drive behind that boom, and what the future of industry IPOs might look like. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. COVID-19 brought many things to a halt. So why hasn't the pandemic slowed down biotech IPOs? I really think there are two reasons. One is fundamental and one is perception. Fundamentally, capital flow into life sciences in general, whether that comes into public market institution funds or venture funds or other vehicles to spur the growth of innovation has been at a record pace for the last several years. So there's so much opportunity capital being deployed now and the innovation cycle itself has only accelerated. So more good ideas need to be funded. And a natural evolution in that is to ultimately end up in a public offering. I think from a perception standpoint, COVID-19 has brought to bear the importance of research. People have asked, how is it possible that a vaccine could be developed in one year uh, when it takes us so long to develop other things? The reality is, is that at least for two of the approved vaccines. They're based on technology using RNA sequencing and and messaging that has been researched for the last 20 years. So it's not that it's necessarily new, but it's been invested in and resourced and most importantly, brought to the fore by COVID-19 itself. How have events such as COVID and the election affected companies' decisions whether to go public this past year? Interesting question. I think I'd split the two. I would say that COVID is the perennial or perfect black swan event that no one could have predicted. And it has had virtually no effect on companies' decision whether to go public or not. In fact, it's made some things about the process physically easier, that being that you can accomplish as much virtually as you can in person. So logistics get easier. Roadshows that used to be dictated by Plane flights and city visits have now been reduced to three days of very effective Zoom meetings. The election is a little bit different because we knew that that was going to be occurring. It was calendared. And I think that companies were eager to get in ahead of the election. And then when we saw that there really wasn't a profound effect on the capital markets, 
as demonstrated by the current backlog and the subsequent IPOs to the November event, the election really hasn't affected anybody's decision. And I don't think it will, whether worn out in Georgia Senate races or other political environments, it will be a, an influencing factor on companies' decisions whether to go public or not. How and why has the average IPO raise changed over the years? I think this is a really interesting question and probably could spend a whole podcast on this in and of itself. But one of the things that I would point to that has changed the IPO dramatically and enabled in many ways the spate of IPOs that we've had recently has been the advent of the crossover investor. So it it used to be that there was a natural evolution from Series A to Series B to Series C, and that the public institutions wouldn't get involved until the initial public offering. What we've seen in the last five to seven years is funds who have traditionally played in the public markets backward integrate into the private markets and get themselves involved in what have been termed crossover raises. So these are raises that are right before the public offering, somewhere in the window of, let's call it 12 months to right up until the time of the offering. And you'll find a fund like Fidelity or Wellington, extremely well-regarded public market funds investing privately in companies. They do that because they want or able to dollar cost average down because the price of the private round is obviously lower than the public round. And, and so the, the cost basis is, is lower. But uh, I think more importantly, they're able to increase their allocation size. Fund managers weren't happy with the amount of allocation that they were getting on the public offering itself. So now that they have the opportunity to participate in two financings. Why has that changed? Well, it's made a profound change in the ability of a company and its leverage when it comes to market. Right now, those crossovers, when they come to market, will say, we'll take at least one or two times the book as it is. So the oversubscription drives the demand because there's shrinkage in supply. And that has resulted in greater valuations, higher valuations, and larger raises. How have SPACs affected the IPO market? It's a very interesting alternative. For a long time, SPACs were viewed as a uh, a backdoor, if you will, to the public markets and were viewed with skepticism. They had, I think, some traction in other industries like fintech, but in biotech, they really were viewed very skeptically. What we've seen is, is that there are, in the last two years, by my count, 28 SPAC, uh, or at least 28 SPACs that exist now that are still looking for merger partners. And Importantly, they've gone from what I'll call financial SPACs to fundamental SPACs. Financial SPACs were truly cash shells that were looking for an investment opportunity, but they included both a a share in the company as well as a warrant. So it was effectively an arbitrage vehicle and people made financial decisions, not fundamental decisions. What's changed in the last year is that we've seen groups like Foresight and RA and Perceptive and EcoR1 and Cormorant, very well-regarded, very well-respected funds, bring to market SPACs that, one, have a cap table that's represented by equally well-respected institutional investors, and more importantly, simply include a share. So it's not an arbitrage. You're really making your decision on the fundamentals of the target company. How long do you think the IPO surge will continue? Is this activity sustainable? 
So I'm not a very good predictor in terms of, of time, but I, I don't see right now the backlog slowing any as indicated by companies in the queue or preparing for public offerings. There's really no slowdown. As long as the market is fairly sustainable and less volatile as it pertains particularly to the NBI and, and the biotech indices, I do think that the surge will continue and it is sustainable, again, primarily because the capital flows and that comes from fundamental raises as frequent as you see companies pricing public offerings, you see funds uh, announcing new raises. So new funds are being created and there's also sector rotation of generalists into the life sciences space. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Greg. It's been really interesting learning about what's behind the 2020 IPO boom and how that might affect things going forward. Well, I really appreciate it. This is uh, a great opportunity to, to talk about an extremely interesting topic. As I mentioned, we've only scratched the surface. There's uh, a lot of depth here and we certainly hope that we continue to see the sustainability and the consistency in the capital markets that we have in recent years. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at trueserumntwk.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, my name is Greg Viloff, and I'm the co-founder of Danforth Advisors. And my leadership tip is smile. There's a lot that's going on in the world today. It's hard, but I think having a sense of humility and a sense of humor in an otherwise extraordinarily difficult environment is critically important to keeping balance and perspective. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.